0: This is on, so I don't know if there's a battery issue or not. Can you hear me here? It's been on, so I'm going to use this. there happen to be batteries you could get me, it would be appreciated. I'll I'll use this until then. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we heard uh, what probably is the most, in my mind, the most sobering verse in the entire Old Testament. And it was spoken on the lips of your people who were in exile. And Lord, we we thank you for all of your word. We don't apologize for the uh, difficult edges that your word has, but we receive all of your word as a good gift to us and the passion of the psalmist, Lord, we pray that we would seek to better understand and to apply even in our own context, Lord, as we experience our own exile in this nation. So would you come? And help us now with the use of the prophet Daniel. Uh, Lord, grant us eyes to see what's truly here in this text. Help us to uh, carefully get a sense of the lay of the land as we begin this book. And I pray that, Lord, our hearts would catch up with what our eyes see and uh, we investigate this morning. And, Lord, may we apply in practical ways the truths that are here. There are There is gold to mine. There are riches to mine in Daniel chapter 1. Lord, we thank you for this page of our Bibles, this page which points unmistakably not just to Daniel, but to Jesus, who is the true and better Daniel, in whose name we pray. Amen. Last time we met together, it was kickoff Sunday. And as we launched out across the deep of a brand new sermon series, we began a series entitled Exile in Babylon, as the front of your bulletin bears out, a study of the Old Testament book of Daniel. And that's where I'd like for you to turn right now and give you a moment to get there if you haven't already. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. If you'd like to use one of the red Bibles in the seats, the text is found on page 737 in the Red Bibles, page seven hundred thirty seven, the Red Bibles in the Seats. Last week we did an overview of the book of Daniel, all twelve chapters in an overview, and we learned that in that single message that God's plan for his people until the coming of our Savior includes exile. Includes exile. And this exile is not mere defeat, it is by God's design. So God's plan for his people until the coming of King Jesus includes exile, and that this is not mere defeat, this is his design. How's that? Better? We use the term exile because the Bible does to speak of God's people. We would be wise as Christ followers not to overstate our experience of exile right now. And I think, though, we would be equally as foolish to deny or to soft-pedal the reality of exile for Christ followers in our culture today as well. The exile of Bible-believing, mission-driven, and Christ-focused Christians in America today is is real, although it's not an exile of physical deportation. It is an exile of cultural exclusion. So our, our exile isn't one of banishment from our homeland, but of increasing alienation and ostracism within our homeland. And rather than us viewing this particular set of circumstances as accidental or strange, we rather do well to recognize God's design. God's plan for his people until the coming of King Jesus includes exile. This is not mere defeat, the loss of a culture war. This is God's design. We learned last week that God is in charge of our exile, that our culture ought to benefit from our exile, and that Christ will bring an end to our exile. That was last week's message. Here's this week's message. Cultural Christianity is crumbling all around us. So resolve today to glorify God during your American exile. With cultural Christianity crumbling all around us, resolve today to glorify God during your American exile. Now before I go any further, I want to take a moment and address specifically the young people with us. There's just a handful of you, but I'm glad that you're here. Depending upon your age, you may look at me and think that I'm young. I am. I'm 38. But there are those who are younger. And I'm not just thinking of the crew in their 20s, although we have an increasingly uh, significant group in that age group, the 20s with young children. When I say young people... I'm primarily thinking of those of us in primary and middle school this morning. Those among us who go to Shirley Hills and Excelsior Elementary, Grandview, and other schools. It's this group that I want to talk to right now. And here's what I want to say that young people on the authority of the Word of God can and do make a significant impact in God's kingdom. You believe that? I believe that. If you are younger, God can pick you up and make you a mighty force for his glory in this world. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. So if you have Daniel chapter 1 open for you, imagine this. Imagine Daniel chapter 1 is the scene, a scene in your favorite movie. If that's the case, then God is the director of this chapter. Without question, God's in the director's chair of Daniel chapter 1. But you know who the lead actors are in Daniel chapter 1? They're young people. They're young people. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these four guys in this passage, they're not old guys. They're young guys. They're very young guys. Daniel chapter 1 verse 4 calls them youths. You see that? Daniel chapter 1 verse 12, youths. Daniel chapter 1 verse 15, guess what? Youths. Daniel chapter 1 verse 17, we read about these four youths. Who are the guys that are on the center of the action on stage? They're youths. And if you were to ask any Old Testament Hebrew scholar what was meant by the term youths, they would tell you a stage in age that fell somewhere between 14 to 17 years old. So young people are an important part of this church because they're an important part of the Bible. Amen? You may be the only Christ follower that you know at your school or in your grade or on your team, but you can resolve today to bring glory to God right where you are. So let's get into it. Three reasons a Christ follower can stand strong, in an increasingly hostile culture. Number one, your residence is in God's hands. Your residence is in God's hands. Look with me, if you will, at Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and I'll read to the end of verse 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the lord gave jehoiakim king of judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of his of the house of god and he brought them to the land of shinar to the house of his god and placed the vessels in the treasury of his god then the king commanded ashpenaz the his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of israel both of the royal family and of the nobility youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge and understanding And understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. There they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. First reason that you as a Christ follower can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture is that your residence is in God's hands. So our story begins in the ancient city of Jerusalem. It's about 605 B.C. 605 B.C. is the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, which is referenced in verse 1. King Jehoiakim is the final king of Judah before they're taken to exile. And just as verse 1 says, it was in that year, 605, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So there's an actor in this situation, and the actor is the wicked pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. Who besieged Jerusalem? Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon did. But it's at this point where we begin to want to be very careful to establish primary and secondary causes. Now, verse 1 is anything but vague. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. He and his Babylonian armies... Surrounded and sealed off and laid siege to the city. Nevertheless, at the exact same time, we have to see that in this text that Nebuchadnezzar didn't take anything that God didn't explicitly place into his hands. Verse 1 is secondary. This verse is simply auxiliary information to verse 2, which is primary. Verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, it it may sound counterintuitive to uh, imply with this first point that the Jews are in God's hands when clearly they've fallen into an enemy's hands, Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Uh, But two clarifying points to be made. First, God put them there. God gave them. And secondly, as we unfold this chapter as well as the rest of the book of Daniel, we're going to see that God doesn't leave his people alone. Not for a nanosecond, especially when they're in exile. He never leaves them. They never leave his hands even as they fall into an enemy's hands. In your English Bible, you may know that when God's personal name, Yahweh, is translated into our language, it's represented as capital uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you familiar with that? Whenever you see LORD in all caps, you can be sure that underneath it is God's personal name, Yahweh. But here in verse 2, we don't see that, do we? I suspect your Bible as mine has capital L and then little o, little r, little d. And the reason for that is that this is not God's personal name, Yahweh. Rather, it's a title. And it's a title that God takes to himself frequently. It's the title Adonai. And why Adonai? Because the title Adonai speaks of ownership and control and mastery over something. So you say, well, ownership, control, and mastery over what? Answer, everything. Everything. Everything that's happening in these verses. He's Lord over the siege of Jerusalem. He's Lord over the plundering of his own temple. He's Lord over the selection of Daniel and his three friends for deportation. He's Lord over the changing of their language, their literature, even their names. God is Adonai. He's Lord. One Old Testament scholar put the entire message of the book of Daniel into a single sentence. And here it is. In spite of present appearances, God is in control. That's terribly encouraging, isn't it? In spite of present appearances, I know it doesn't look that way, God is in control. So, the first reason from our text this morning that you as a Christ follower can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture is that your residence is in God's hands. At this moment, we are gathered. And this moment doesn't last very long. Soon, we will find ourselves scattered. Scattered all over the West Honka area and the broader West Metro for a week of mission. And I'll readily admit, it looks random enough, doesn't it? It looks random, the way that we're sprinkled across this geography. It may seem disorganized or disconnected, but I assure you, it's not. Nothing could be further than the truth. Where God has you in your neighborhood Your apartment hallway, your school, your workplace, wherever you happen to hang out, it's not random. Especially as we begin to experience increased cultural exile. Just as God gave his people into their place of exile in 6th century B.C., so too has God given us into our place of exile here in 21st century A.D. And while the church doesn't replace Israel ever, we sure do reflect her pretty frequently, don't we? And with cultural Christianity crumbling all around us, we find ourselves strangers in a strange land. And just as the Jews entered into their Babylonian exile, we find ourselves entering into our own American exile. So resolve today to glorify God during your American exile. And the first way that we see that is that God's got your residence in his hand. Second point today, as a Christ follower... You can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture because, secondly, your reputation is in God's hands. Your reputation is in God's hands. Follow along with me. We'll pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel 1, 8. But Daniel resolved tested them for ten days, and at the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So, the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, rather than take a cheap shot at a particularly popular Christian book on the market today, Allow me simply to say this: I'm a big believer in weight loss. OK? I am supportive of fasting, both privately and corporately as members of God's people, but to walk away with Dan- from Daniel chapter one, verses eight to 16, with a diet plan, is to radically misread God's intentions with this passage. This is not biggest loser Babylon edition. Okay? <laughs> please don't misunderstand me. I think God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. He does it every time I preach. He does it every time a Christian book is written that uses his word. And the Daniel Plan published by Zondervan has evidently helped hundreds of thousands of folks nationwide lose thousands of pounds. And amen. But these verses are not teaching a weight loss strategy. If anything, they're modeling a weight retention strategy, possibly weight gain, because verse 15 says that Daniel and his friends were fatter in flesh than all the other guys. So if these verses aren't commending a diet plan, as important as that is, what are they communicating? Well, A huge clue is the phrase that we read in verse 9. We've already seen it once in this chapter, and it's a phrase we'll see one more time before we're done, and it's the phrase, God gave. See that there in verse 9? God gave. God gave Daniel. Now in verse 2, the Lord gave his people into exile, so their residence is in God's hands. In verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the king's court. So what do we conclude? We conclude that in an increasingly hostile culture, especially as Christ followers, the reputation of God's people is in God's hands. Now, to be sure, verses 8 and 9 paint a portrait of cause and effect. Daniel's rock-ribbed commitment to holiness, especially in the face of adversity, doesn't go unnoticed by God. Look at verses 8 and 9 together. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to devile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the eunuchs. Who gave Daniel favor? God gave Daniel favor. The early church father, Jerome, looked at this verse and said, if ever under pressing circumstances, holy people are loved by unbelievers, it is a matter of the mercy of God and not the goodness of perverted people. I agree with that. Isn't it fascinating that Daniel is evidently willing to learn a new language, a new literature? He's even willing to take the name of a Babylonian deity, Belteshazzar, without so much as a whiff of objection. This young man is incredibly flexible as it relates to what you might call cultural contextualization. Just taking on the clothing of the culture and the customs and the culture and so on. Literature, language, names, evidently these didn't defile him. And it's not totally clear why. It's possible that Daniel simply made a judgment call at this point and knew that he didn't want to disobey the law of Moses as it's outlined in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 12. I'm not sure that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, but we do know this. With cultural Christianity crumbling all around us, we, like Daniel, are going to have countless opportunities not to defile ourselves. Whether matters of biblical conviction, like a belief in the utter authority of the Scriptures... Or the exclusivity of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone? Or in this day and age, you know it's not simply our theological convictions where we take this stand, but like Daniel, we resolve not to defile ourselves, for example, by adopting our culture's shifting view of marriage as as one man and one woman for life. We have all kinds of opportunities to resolve, not to defile ourselves. And when you make that decision, here's the point of the passage. When you make that decision, you can be sure of this. However it falls out, your reputation is in God's hands, not the culture's. As you speak the truth and as you grow in holiness and as you serve this local church, your reputation is in God's hands. And it may be that the outside world looks on and they see your integrity, and they are impressed. And if they are, then you need not to forget where you should assign the credit. Psalm 106, verse 46 says, God caused his people to be pitied by all who held them captive. God caused his people to be pitied by all who held them captive. Psalm 106. 6 verse 46. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of his surrounding culture and it may be that he does the same for you too and is doing the same. So this verse paints the portrait that when you resolve to glorify God during your exile, you can be sure that your reputation is in God's hands. What this does not teach us is that your reputation will always be a favorable one. What about when you do the right thing You take the principled stand. You don't go against your conscience. You follow God's lead. You let the chips fall and things just backfire. What then? Same principle. If you are resolved to glorify God during your American exile, your reputation is in God's hands, even when it's torn to shreds by the culture. Think about Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis. Now even if you as a Christian disagree with the principled stand that she took, you have to admit she stood and stands with unambiguous clarity as to what she believes was right for her to do before God. Her Christian convictions as best she understood them and she was fed to the proverbial wolves and still is being fed to the wolves. Is her reputation in God's hands? Yes, it is. What about you and me? If you're contemplating a difficult decision this season, a choice that if you make it potentially opens you up to the disdain or the disrespect of others, particularly unbelievers, 1 Peter 2.20 and following would be relevant in this case. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. This is why Jesus is the true and better Daniel. Amen? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Daniel may be our subject this morning, but he's not our Savior this morning. Amen? Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example. Won't you suffer for him? Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Jesus resolved that he would defile himself with our sin and he would go to the cross to pay the debt of our sin. On the one hand, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of his culture and on the other, God made Jesus to be despised and rejected by his culture. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So resolve today to glorify God during your American exile. As a Christ follower, you can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture, knowing that your reputation is in God's hands. One final point this morning. You can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture because your resources are in God's hands. As a Christ follower, you can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture because your resources are in God's hands. Let's finish our story today. Look with me one more time at Daniel chapter 1 as we read verse 17 to the end of the chapter. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understandings in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom." Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. For the third time in this chapter, we see the phrase, God gave. Right? Verse 17, God gave them. Now remember, back up in verse 2, the Lord gave his people into exile. Therefore, his residence is in their hands. In verse 17, Nine, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the king's court. Therefore, their reputation is in God's hands. Here in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So, what do we conclude? Well, their, their resources are in God's hands. God's ability to give his people wisdom and understanding and discernment, along with character and godliness, Holiness and, yes, material resources as well, for he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God's ability to do that is profound. God knows how to furnish his people for their mission. And if you're not sure what you need, don't worry about that because God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Like if we were to put a blank prayer check in front of the Lord this morning. What would we ask for? What resources does he hold in his hand that could more than meet our needs for wisdom, courage, steadfastness, selflessness, generosity with our time or our finances or our skills or our abilities, an increasing concern for perishing people, passion to pray for and to act upon our 2020 vision we need all of these things and more and god doesn't call the already equipped he equips the called and he does so as the sovereign lord of the universe you put these three gifts together that God gives his people their residence, their reputation, and their resources, you start to get the impression that God is in control of this thing, right? He knows how an exile is going to shake out. And you say, well, for how long? Verse 21 is not a throwaway verse. Verse 21 says that Daniel was there in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus, which is to say that Daniel's impact during his exile was felt by his surrounding cultures from 605 to 539 B.C. When you crunch the numbers, that's 66 years. He's not a a youth anymore by the time that Cyrus is kicking around. Daniel's presence spans two kingdoms from the Babylonian to the Persian Empire. Daniel was resolved And he was remembered. God made sure of it. Well, let's review. Cultural Christianity, crumbling all around us. So resolve today to glorify God during your American exile. Three reasons you as a Christ follower can stand strong in an increasingly hostile culture. Number one, your residence is in God's hands. Number two, your reputation is in God's hands. And number three, Your resources are in God's hands. This chapter will serve us well because we'll come back to the the contours of it throughout the book of Daniel. Next week, we'll step into chapter 2 where we'll begin our first of two weeks studying the apocalyptic end-time prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's first dream and what that means for us today. We'll pick it up then. Right now, let's pray. Father in heaven, we look at a chapter like this and we, we see you all over it. You gave your people into their exile. You gave them their reputation. You gave them and furnished them with all they need. Lord, what more could we ask for? We are right where you want us to be geographically, culturally, you have us where you want us. And I pray, Father, that we would recognize your sovereign hand over our lives in this regard. I pray that even today you would grant us the, the gift of illumination. Just open our eyes to the, to the people right in our normal tread as we go about our, our lives today that are put there sovereignly by your hand that we could impact. I pray, Father, that as we follow you and we are faithful to simply let the chips fall, our our reputation, thank God, is not in the hands of the culture. And it's not something that we can engineer for ourselves either, Lord. It is entirely in your hands. So whether, Lord, it would be favorable like Daniel or whether we would increasingly be looked upon with scorn or raised eyebrows. That's about all we face right now in this country. It's not raised machetes. It's just raised eyebrows at this point. I pray that we would, I pray that we would take heart and know that our reputations are entirely in your good, keeping care. And Lord, as we look forward to the fulfillment of our 2020 vision, Lord, we need your resources. We need all kinds of help, Lord, that you would uh, kick down Uh, doors, open doors, Lord, for conversation with folks who don't know you. I pray that you would be drawing people on our lists of five sovereignly to you. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us increasing uh, resources uh, for all that we need to carry out our mission. Lord, may we be a church uh, committed to be and make disciples, both in terms of health and in terms of growth, in depth and in breadth. We can count on you for all that we need. Lord, thank you for Daniel chapter 1. I pray that as we move into this day that we would have an unshakable confidence like Daniel and be resolved to bring you glory during this, the time of our exile. For Jesus' sake we pray it. Amen.